My name is Justin. I am an alcoholic. So before we start, I'd like to say that I absolutely positively hate public speaking. It's not a strong suit of mine. I'm not a big fan of it, but I absolutely love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So whenever anybody asks me to do anything for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I suit up and I show up. And with that being said, I want to thank Kenny for allowing me the opportunity to take part in my recovery today. Um, Newcomers, there was a lot of newcomers, and I'm super excited about that. That's awesome. For those of you that are new to Alcoholics Anonymous, whether or not you identified, welcome. Um, I hope you hear something tonight that makes sense. You are the reason we have meetings. You know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it references meetings on a couple occasions. One of them, it says we have these frequent gatherings so newcomers can find the fellowship that they seek. And another part, it says we meet often so that newcomers have a place to bring their problems. And you know, my interpretation of that is that these meetings are here for the newcomers, so welcome, and I hope you hear something tonight. So let's see. Yeah, I took nine years of sobriety today. Today, today is actually my birthday. Um, I can't take any credit for it. Absolutely cannot take any credit for it. Um, I don't keep me sober. I don't have the ability, the capacity. Step one tells me that I don't have the ability or the capacity to keep me sober. God keeps me sober on a regular basis. So I have to give all the credit to my higher power, God, and um, program of Alcoholics Anonymous who have put me in contact with you. So let's see um, what it was like. So I'm not. I don't have a lot of time, so I'm not going to get into too many details of what it was like um, when I was young, real young. I drank alcohol and I loved it. It was amazing. It did something to me. I had that reaction. Um, most of you, if not all of you, I'm sure can relate to what that reaction was like. Um, someone put marijuana in front of me. I smoked marijuana. I had this reaction. I love marijuana. I had this great reaction that um, I really enjoyed that. Benzodiazepines, methamphetamines, heroin. It doesn't really matter. I put a lot of different things into my system. Um, all of them did something for me. You know, and I really enjoyed it. It was fun for a while. I had a lot, a lot of, um, I had a lot of enjoyment out there doing those things for a while. And then all of, you know, at first it was all fun, right? Fun. All of a sudden it became fun with a little bit of consequences. I started to experience some consequences here and there as a result of my use. Um, then it kind of took over where consequences were a little bit more than the fun, still having a little bit of fun. And then toward the end there, it was just a whole lot of consequences as a result of my use. Um, and toward the end of my use, what it looked like, you know, I um, in and out of different sort of treatment centers, in and out of um, county jails, in and out of state penitentiaries. I, I don't say that to brag. I'm not proud of my time in state penitentiaries. I'm not one of those guys who went and did, you know, 10 years, 8 years. I don't want to try to um, make it seem like I was that guy. You know, what I do is I get 16-month terms, you know, go dry out, get sober, get out, and repeat the cycle, you know, and um. <clears throat> And that was what my life looked like at the end. You know, I had um, my now wife was in my life, you know, and, and she had been around me for a long time. You know, I, I met my wife when I was 17 years old. I'm 42 years old today, you know. Um, so she put up with and endured a lot of different things, you know, and she stuck by my side for a while. And, you know, um, I kept doing these kind of, you know, I... I've, my drinking and using progressed. I started off with juvenile hall, getting these consequences of my use, you know, and then, um, well, actually, I, I went to juvenile hall just because I'm an idiot. I wasn't really struggling with alcohol that much then. I wasn't really um, 
using like I did toward the end there. I just, you know, I just didn't play well with others. Sometimes I like to engage in acts of violence and thievery and other sort of shenanigans. Um, I just didn't know how to live life on life's terms. So um, consequences started presenting themselves early. And then, you know, as it progressed and it manifested, I just continued to visit these sort of places, you know. And, um, and I just kind of, you know, like I said, the, the using and the drinking, the drinking took over. It's got my life to this place where I couldn't really um, control it, you know. And, and what ended up happening is, you know, in and out of county jails, like I said, and then toward the end, you know, um, so my wife, she kept wanting to leave me. She would take, she would come visit me in county. She'd be like, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. So I would do these things that I called hostage renegotiations. I would, you know, feed my wife a bunch of promises and lies of how things would be different this time. And um, every time I'd have to up the ante. Sometimes she came and visited me and it was, you know, when I get out of here, you know, I want to move in with you and I want to make these things different and it's going to be different here. So she would, you know, buy into that and, you know, I moved in probably when I was about 20 years old with her and then a few years of that she got tired of that and then, you know, then I hit her with the, um, you know, the marriage. You know, when I get out we're going to get married and, you know, so got out, did the same things, continued to repeat the same patterns, whatnot. So, um, you know. Then I had to follow through with that, and you know, I, I went and got married to my wife at one point. Um, she was getting ready to leave, divorce, or take off, go do whatever she wanted to do, move back to um, with her parents far away from here. So I upped the ante, I got married. Um, wasn't a good marriage. I remember I, um, I was drinking a lot at that time, and you know, drugs are also a part of my story. And, and I went in the bathroom and I shot some heroin and then I came outside and I talked my wife into driving down to Santa Ana Courthouse and um, marrying the winner that was me, right? And she um, she decided to do that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, and then it just kept getting worse and worse from there. You know, I, I went, you know, I got married and for our honeymoon, I went to a place called the Hope House, a um, one-year one year treatment center. I, I, um, I went through that program. I completed a year and and it wasn't, you know, I, all these times I would go do these things and go to treatment, it was never by virtue or any sort of characteristic that I possessed. You know, it was, um, you know, the judge had, you know, so when my treatment started, I kept going in and out for under the influences of a, you know, controlled substance, drunken public, possessions, different sort of things. And the judge would keep throwing, you know, treatment centers at me. Do you want to go to treatment? I'd stand there and I'd be two days, you know, two days removed from alcohol and other substances and I'd, you know, I'd be sick and I wouldn't be feeling well. And he's like, if you go, I'm going to let you out tonight. And I'd say, absolutely, I want to go. If you're going to let me out tonight, I want to go, right? So I'd get out and I'd never find my way there. And I kept collecting these over and over, a lot of these under the influences and whatnot. And got to this point where the judge was like, you're going to have to go do a year-long program. And by the time he told me this, I was a month and a half, I, I had been incarcerated, you know, and I was relieved of any sort of, you know, withdraw physical ailments that I was struggling with. And and I'm like, I don't really want to go to treatment, Your Honor. I'd rather just, you know, had a bunch of charges and they were like six, nine months, you know. So I'm like, I'll take the nine months or whatever. So he lined them up and gave them to me bowlegged and he said, if I didn't go to treatment, I'd have to do like, came out to like four years in the county jail. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do four years in county, right? Like, I'll go to treatment. Why not? You know, so that's how I ended up in treatment, you know. And I did a year in that treatment center, and, um, you know, they taught me a lot of amazing tools and relapse prevention, and they talked about triggers, and, 
you know, apparently they needed, because I didn't know this, um, break it down that my family was dysfunctional and screwed up, um, which wasn't information to me, but they were really proud to give me this information for some <laughs> some reason, you know. Um, and, and when I say this, please, I, I'm not discrediting treatment. I work in treatment. I'm a case manager. It's what I do, you know. But at that point where I was at in my life, you know, they gave me all this self-knowledge, and the big book talks about how self-knowledge avails us nothing, right? And, and I was in there for a year, and... You know, I completed this program, I went through it, I did all the things they wanted me to do, and it was a strict behavioral modification type of program, and um, if you got, you know, they would give you some crazy consequences, like I'd get in trouble and I'd have to go sit on a bench for like 10 minutes and I couldn't say something, and then they would come, you know, address me like a kid, and they'd give me these, you know, heavy-duty cleanups for days, and they would put me on search, it was like, it was like this... I'd sit in the corner and no one could talk to me for like three days and I'd write all these papers on self-reflection and it was pretty, it's pretty crazy and, I, and somehow I, I got through that and I kept getting in trouble because I just tend to get in trouble. It's kind of one of the things I was really good at um, before I got here to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and, and I completed that year, that year in treatment and the day, the exact day that I got out of treatment, right? I had a buddy, and as opposed to having my wife pick me up, I had a buddy and my cousin pick me up, and then, you know, they came, they got me, we stopped at the liquor store, um, because, you know, back then my problem was heroin, I was just going to drink like a gentleman, right, so we got out, <clears throat> I got drunk, right, I got really drunk, and I had to go see my, my wife, my, you know, maybe, let's say about a year wife, because I did a year, maybe a month after my year anniversary, I needed to go see my wife and visit her, and, um, but I was too drunk to present myself, so I needed to um, find a way to kind of balance that. So methamphetamines, that was my go-to. I would just take some methamphetamines. I'd balance myself out. I'd be in shape to go see her, but I overshot the mark with that. I'm not really, I don't do well. I don't do well with methamphetamines, and I wasn't going to be able to talk to my wife. It felt like my jaw was wired shut, and, you know, and I, was, I was just way too, so I needed to loosen that up. So um, heroin, I'll shoot some heroin, right? And, I didn't make it home that day. I think I got home two, three days later, and my wife was just fucking pissed. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I was really good at coming up with these nonsensical stories at the moment of um, where I was and what I was doing. So I sold her one of those, and she was pissed, and, you know, she forgave me, and it was going to be different, and it wasn't, you know, and I got back to the same behavior, same patterns. And this went on for a while, for a while, and, um, you know, circular and, you know, causing my parents a lot of grief and causing, you know, my grandmother and my grandfather, rest of their souls, a lot of grief and, you know, the people around me, a lot of grief and a lot of pain, but none of that really mattered to me. Selfish and self-centered, that is the root of my disease, right? Like, I wasn't really concerned with what was going on in the lives of the people around me. All I was concerned with was um, this craving, um, mental obsession that I struggle with and this desire to get alcohol in my system. And then once I get it, you know, the manifestation, you know, the allergy of the body takes over and the phenomenon of craving kicks in and then I'm off and racing and everything in my life takes, you know, um, a backseat to me putting substances in my body and maintaining that, um, that state of mind that I like to be in when I'm out there doing my thing, you know. And <clears throat> what eventually happened is my wife got tired. Well, I had a daughter, right? So... Fast forward, you know, a lot of trouble, whatever, chaos, broken promises, pain and suffering, county jail stints, um, stuff like that. So then I ended up having a daughter. And um, when I had my daughter, I, I um, 
you know, I did, my wife got pregnant. She told me she's pregnant. I'm like, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I'm going to stop, right? I'm going to have this child. This child's going to be dependent upon me. Um, you know, my mom, she, she passed away not too long ago. She was one of us. She died from this disease. And I told myself I wasn't going to put my daughter, what my mother put me through, right? So I was going to change these behaviors and these patterns. And if you would have took me somewhere and asked me if I planned on quitting and tied me up to some sort of lie detector test, I would have passed it because my intentions were to quit, right? Problem is, is I, 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 um, it was just me left to my own devices, and me left to my own devices does not possess in his um, capacity the ability to stop using and, and, and drinking. And, and what ended up happening is, you know, um, I was, was going to quit. I was going to stop all this stuff. And so I went and I got myself, you know, me being me back then, they didn't have a lot of the um, comfort medications that they have today for detoxing from substances. Um, so I went down to Tijuana. Um, Decided to pick up a bunch of benzodiazepines and other, um, you know, muscle relaxers, and I was going to create. I was, you know, I didn't really need to go to a doctor. I was more educated than they were in, in, um, in pharmaceuticals and substances, and I just knew what I needed to do, and I just needed to put myself away somewhere, and I was going to just take these substances, and I was going to quit with them, right? And um, so I, I did. I took a lot of um, Xanax, Somas, Ambience, um. Most of them, probably like the amount I bought for two weeks, I took about 75% of them in one night. And um, and I got really, really in a bad place. You know, I, I was operating at this level. I don't know how I was operating at. And, um, and I kept trying to leave, and my buddies were there. And um, they kept sitting me down and stopping me. You're not going nowhere. And then they had to take off and go do whatever it is that they had to go do, Some uh, probably some heinous activities right to maintain their addiction and um so they, they told their girlfriends hey don't let them leave and then i mean i, I got up and you know, their girlfriends weren't gonna physically restrain me i don't know why they didn't take my keys that would have been a great but they didn't so i got my keys and i jumped in my car and i headed down the five freeway south right off there got off on greenfield and um as i was driving i don't remember most of this because i was in the uh, Took 75% of my medications, right? Uh, they weren't medications. So I sideswiped the Jaguar. Um, so I hit it on the freeway, but it didn't crash. And I, I came to, I just remember coming to and looking at the Jaguar and like, you know, I corrected that move, but I overcorrected. And then I hit the cement thing on the side of the freeway. And I remember sparks flying out of that thing and broke my mirror. So I pulled off. And then the guy next to me, I'm like, dude, you, you hit me, you idiot. And he's like, <laughs> He's like, pull over, and I'm like, oh, you're good, man. I'm like way too messed up <laughs> to deal with this. Just don't worry about it. I'm just going to go. I was just like, ah, oh, you're fine, right? So I didn't even like really realize what I was doing because I didn't try to like get away. I didn't feel a sense of urgency to get out of there, and I got pulled over. Um, I got pulled over, and I went to jail for, for DUI, and, um, and they let me out. And then um, within like two months, my wife was supposed to have you know my daughter, so they let me out, and my probation officer found out, and he's like, "If you don't do this, this, and that, I'm gonna incarcerate you." And so, I, you know, I tried to pull it off, and um, I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. And um, within about a month, I, I got arrested. And the day that my daughter was born, I sent, I spent that day in county jail. Right? Um, I wasn't there for the birth of my daughter. And when I got out, my wife, needless to say, was somewhat upset at me for this. Um, so she um she kicked me out. She told me you gotta go, man. Like I, I was willing to put up with a lot of this stuff um when you were doing it to me, but I'm not gonna allow you to do this to my daughter, you know. And um she kicked me out and she filed for divorce and um 
you know, my wife never really kept me sober, but she did kind of keep like some sort of like, I had this thing in the back of my head where like, okay, I have to show up there at some point. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of manage this thing to somewhat to my best ability. And, you know, I, 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 I did more drinking, you know, some using, but I would always somehow figure out just to get to that point where like I could be somewhat presentable and show up. But once she kicked me out, I didn't really have anything to, um, to kind of balance that. And I got really, really um, out of control and everything escalated from there on out. And, um, you know, I went in and out of county jails and, you know, treatment and trying to get my life together. And, um, and I just couldn't figure it out for the life of me, you know, and, and she served me divorce papers and, um, and then, you know, something happened and, and I went to, um, I went to prison. The, the last time I went to prison, I remember going to prison and, um, I got 16 months for a possession. Back then they gave out 60 month terms. Back then possession was a felony. Um, so I went to prison for, for possession. I remember sitting in jail and you know, I was playing pinochle with the fellas and we're just kind of, you know, chopping it up and, they were doing mail con, you know, I'm there and I'm trying to act, you know, tough. I don't about mail, right? But I'm listening, I'm ear hustling, hoping that they'll call my name when they do mail and they just wouldn't call my name and wouldn't call my name and, you know, that went on for a while and, um, and I, I realized that there was no one in the outside world that was really trying to communicate with me or really, um, concerned with, I mean, they may be concerned with what I was going through, you know, I mean, obviously I had my family and I know that they love me, but, but they were just done with me, right? And, um, and I remember sitting there and I had this empty, lonely feeling, right? And I had this hole in my soul that you could um, drive a semi-truck through, right? And I remember telling myself, I am never, ever, ever going to use it again. I'm going to get out and I'm going to get sober and I'm done with this stuff. You know, and um, what happened is they paroled me in California Department of Corrections and their infinite wisdom. They give you $200 gate money when you parole and they drive you down to the closest bus station and they put you on a bus and they watch you get on that bus and they tell you to, go home and report to your parole officer within two two days and I was determined to stay sober, right? And um the first time that bus stopped, that thing, you know, um Big Book talks about the alcoholic at time lacks with sufficient force to bring into um into mind the pain and suffering of a day, a week or even a month ago where we are without defense against that first drink, right? And regardless of all the pain that I was going through, regardless of all the things I was going through, regardless of how I felt when I was incarcerated and not being in my daughter's life. And you know, by this time she's about five years old. I'd missed various birthdays, holidays, Christmases. I was maybe out one 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 of her birthday, one of each of those holidays I had mentioned, you know. Um regardless of all those consequences, right? Like none of that came to mind to defer me from drinking one more time, right? Because when I got out I came I got out with alcoholism, right? Untreated alcoholism and I'm restless and I'm irritable and I'm discontented, right? And right here, right now, my reality is where I was living in that moment, right? And I was outside the state penitentiary, and I was scared, and I didn't know how I was going to accomplish sobriety, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and I knew my wife didn't want me around, and I knew I was a horrible father, and I had all these things going through my life, and then more importantly, I'm just an alcoholic, right? And um, and I didn't have anything at my disposal to keep me sober. So the first time that bus stopped, I got off, and I got at the first liquor store that we got to, and... You know, they did a layover in Los Angeles, and I got super drunk and um, bought, a, you know, some bottles, and I got hammered. And then um, I had to see my parole agent in two days. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not in any shape to see my parole agent. So then something went off in my head, methamphetamines, right? If I can get some meth in my system, I'll be presentable, and I'll go see my parole agent, right? And like, like for whatever reason, I feel my 
poison would rather see me on meth than alcohol, but that was my thought process, right? And then, so I did meth and I overshot the mark, like I like to do on a regular basis, and I knew how to combat that, and I knew that I can combat that by shooting heroin, and then I shot heroin, and then, um, you know, I like to pick my face off sometimes, so I picked a good part of my face off, and I showed up with scabs and like a mess at my agent, and he's just like, dude, you're, you're blowing it, right? Like, how long are you going to do this? And for whatever reason, at that moment, I told my agent, I'm like, look, man, like, I don't want to live this way, but I don't know how to not drink, and I don't know how to not put substances in my body, and I don't know how to operate how <clears throat> out here in this world um, and live life on life's terms. And, um, and he sent me to a treatment center, and he sent me to a place in northern Orange County in Garden Grove called <clears throat> Unidos Treatment. It's a low-bottom indigent treatment center. Um, I, when I went to treatment, I, I didn't have a lot of the bells and whistles that I see working as a case manager in treatment today. It was just you got a bed, you, you kicked, you didn't get any sort of comfort medication, you didn't get any of that, you just you slept, you got four or five days to get right, and then after that they put you in a program, and, and you woke up at this time, and if you didn't wake up at this time, you could pack your bags and you can beat it, and you made your bed, and if you didn't want to pack, make your bed, you could pack your bags and you could beat it, and... And, um, and you know, you did programming all day, and you did, like, a bunch of, like, eight, nine groups a day. I was in group all freaking day. That's all I can remember is just being in group after group. And um, But one of the great things that, about that place is their alumni, they came back on a regular basis, and they came back, and they came back with big books, and they came back with a, um, with a program of action, and they came back um, with being examples of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and... and and they wrote me in, and I got a sponsor, and um, and that sponsor, you know, I met with that sponsor on a regular basis, and I started doing step work, and I started doing these things, and my life started to get better, right? And then I'm like, I got this, right? I got this. And in the big book, it talks about um, it's easy to let it's easy to let up on a spiritual program and rest on our laurels, right? And that's what I did, laurels. And I didn't know what laurels meant. My first sponsor made me look up words that I didn't understand and write the definition on the side, and laurels meant past accomplishments, right? So it's easy for me to rest on my past accomplishments, right? And, you know, what I wanted to do is I wanted to stay sober today on the work from yesterday, and I went home, and I didn't get back connected to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, oh, at this time, um, hostage renegotiations, right? My wife seen what I was doing. She's like, oh, my God, you're doing so good. I was, like, sober, like, nine months. And and she um she had, when she filed for divorce, we never got through with it because she couldn't, I wasn't really easily accessible individual when I'm out there doing my thing, I just kind of float around in the, from couch to couch and garage to garage and wherever I can land. So she moved out to Palm Springs, um, Cathedral City, the desert area, and you know, she had to get away from me. And um, and then she saw what I was doing, and she said, "We should make this work. You know, let's see how this works." Like we started talking, and and she she let me back in her life, and she moved away. And then like there was this month period where like I talked to my parole agent, he was going to transfer my my um my parole out to the desert um, and that I was in the process of doing that and I stopped working this program right and I, I started once again drinking you know and, and I started drinking and, and I thought you know now that I've been sober for nine or ten months I had got the tools necessary to do some controlled drinking right and um and I did that and um I don't know how it happened and, and I don't know you know I mean obviously it was it was just God working in my life but God saw fit for that transfer to go through before I got a little too far off on that run because if it would have been, you know, within another month from when that transfer went through, I would have probably not been in any shape to make it out there presentable, right? But I um I transferred out to the um to the desert 
and um, I ended up going to a. So I, I transferred out to the desert, and I ended up, you know, meeting my pro and I just decided I was going to be done. I was going to, you know, get cold turkey. I was going to get sober. I was going to do this, and and I walked into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and when I walked into the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I found the um my sponsor that helped me get sober this time. Um, passed away a couple years ago. You know, God bless his soul. But I met this man, and I went up to him, and I asked him to sponsor me. And right away, he just hit me with a bunch of directions. Right, like, I need you to. You know, you're going to do these readings. We're going to meet every week. You're going to read out of the book. You're going to write about, you know, what you read in the book. I need you at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous every single day. And he t- asked me where I lived, and I told him where I lived. He said, perfect. There's a meeting here every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to have you wake up, and you're going to walk here. I need you here at 6.30 because I want you here half an hour early so you can start the fellowship and meet people in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So you're going to have to wake up about 5 o'clock in the morning. I was like, what? This is this dude's out of his mind, man. This is a bunch of crazy stuff. Like, I don't, and I was living in the desert, right? Like, some days it'd be like 95 degrees at 6 o'clock in the morning when I'm trekking um, to a meeting, but I did it. I just did it. He told me to do these things, and I did what he asked of me, you know, and I remember early on sitting down with him, and, you know, he's like, so what, you know, asking me, like, you know, sponsors, they rope you in with these ridiculous questions. He's, what's your problem, and, you know, what do you think your problem is? Like, oh, well, my problem, you know, my wife's mad at me, and, um, and I can't get a job. And, you know, when I got sober, you know, I, I was on parole. I was a high school dropout. I couldn't get a job. When I filled out an application, I could fill out, like, two work history things. And that part that said conviction history was, like, I needed to use the back page for that, right? And nobody wanted to hire me. And, and um, I didn't have a car. And I didn't have money. And I was unemployable. And I didn't have a relationship with my wife. And, like I said, a high school, what we're going to do? I can't help you with none of that. None of that is for me to fix, right? But what I can is I can sit you down, you and me, every single week. We'll get together. We'll go through this book. We'll work this program of action, and I'll take you through these steps, 1 through 12, the way they're designed, and we'll see what your life looks like. And for whatever reason, I bought into that, and I put aside all my problems, and I met with this sponsor every single week, and we went through that book, and we went through those steps. And as a result of doing that, at some point, I had this spiritual experience significant enough to keep me sober on a regular basis, right? And um. And in that process, I developed a relationship with the higher power, you know, and, um, and I've been sober ever since. You know, it's real simple. You know, we have a lot of newcomers, and, and I feel compelled to kind of break it down to the most simplest form we can break it down here. And anytime I hear anything broken down to the simplest form, they always talk about the ABCs of anything, right? Like the ABCs. Whenever somebody tells me the ABCs, that's the simplest thing. And in our readings, we hear it all the time, right? A, alcoholic could not manage your own life. B, probably no human power could believe our alcoholism. And C, God could and would if he were sought, right? When I read that, that's a relief, right? Because I don't have to keep me sober anymore. I suck at keeping me sober, right? My job in Alcoholics Anonymous is to seek God. That's what that reading tells me, right? And in seeking God, God keeps me sober on a daily basis, right? And um, and I just did that, right? I got into the program. I did the things I was supposed to do. I continue to seek God on a regular basis, and um, and God has continued to keep me sober, you know. And um, and I got through those steps, and and, and I had this experience, and um, and if you're new here, please, please. Don't leave here without a sponsor. Please, please, if you haven't got a sponsor yet, get a sponsor. If you got a sponsor, take some direction, right? Do the things that that sponsor suggests of you, and you never have to live that way again if you don't want to. You know, a lot of times we hear in the readings, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. But in Dr. Bob's Nightmare, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and my sponsor told me that if the first 164 pages are important, and Dr. Bob and Bill's stories in the 164, and Dr. Bob's in the first 181, then Dr. Bob's story should be just as important. And in Dr. Bob's nightmare, he says, if you want to stop drinking for good and for sure, we have a program that never fails. 
program of Alcoholics Anonymous never fails if, if you go about it with half the zeal you did when you were out there trying to get your next drink, right? If I come in here and I put as much, half the work into staying sober that I was willing to put into getting my next drink, getting my next use, getting my next whatever I needed to get, I will stay sober. My book promises me that. It guarantees me that, right? But the problem is, is I get to Alcoholics Anonymous and we see how many people come in here and I don't say we have a 100% success rate, right? But the problem is, is that people aren't willing to put the work into their program, right? And the work of Alcoholics Anonymous is in the 12 steps, right? Like I hear things in meetings that I don't agree with sometimes. One of them is meeting makers make it. That's an absolute lie. I've seen a lot of meeting makers, meeting makers get drunk because they didn't do the work. Now, meetings are important. They're a very important part of my recovery, but I recover in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And it's been my experience that it's the people that work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, go through the 12 steps, have this spiritual awakening, turn around and try to take someone else through the steps and give away what has been so freely given to them. Those are the people that stay sober, right? Problem is, like I said, I don't see that happen often, you know? And if we break that down, right, like I could break that down really easy because I work in treatment, right? So I have a lot of clients and they come to me with these reasons why they don't, they don't, um, they don't do the things they do, right? So one of them is we give, we give you a book, right? Like we're handed a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Read this and your life will change. And then I hear, oh man, I just have a poor attention span. I was busy. I can't concentrate. I can't. If I put that into the effort I was, when I was drinking and using, if someone gave me a book and they said, read this book. And when you're done reading this book, you will know how to make the best methamphetamines. You will know how to make the best opiates. You will have a solution and a, and a way to continually get an endless supply of alcohol. Not one person would say, I don't want that book. I'm not good at concentrating. I'm not a good reader, right? We would get that book, we would pick it up, and we would decipher, and we would tear that thing apart until we had every last bit of information we needed to maintain that, right? Here's another one. Here's my number. Call me and um, tomorrow and we'll start working steps, right? And then people say, ah, oh, you know, it's hard for me to call a person on a regular basis. I just kind of forget. I don't really know what to say, right? But here's the thing, right? Because here's who I am. I want the dude with the goods. I've always wanted the dude with the goods. That's who my sponsor is today, right? I found the dude who I believe has the goods for me today, and I call him on a regular basis. And if when I was out there and I told you, look, man, here's my number. Call me tomorrow, and I'll plug you in, right? I'll give whatever it is you want. I got it, right? Alcohol, any sort of substances. If you call me tomorrow, We'll get together, and I'll put it in your life, right? I guarantee, I know for me, I would call that dude. He wouldn't answer. I would hang up, and I would call him 80 freaking times until he answered the phone, right? But then when someone says, here's my number, call me, and I'll help you save your life, all of a sudden we have all these reasons. Or how about a meeting? Tomorrow, 7 o'clock, be here. We're going to have a meeting. I don't have a car. I don't know if I can get there, right? Like, it's far. I'm kind of busy. If I told you come here tomorrow at 7 o'clock and I'll put whatever it is you need to get your head straight in your life, not one I, – I went through those mountains. I lived over here in Laguna Niguel. I dropped down through San Juan, through the hills, in the mountains, dope sick, to get what I needed to get, right? But all of a sudden, we can't find our way to get to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Like, it's a program of action, right? Like, Alcoholics Anonymous, I've heard people say that this program works for people – that it doesn't work for the people that – need to stay sober. It works for the people that want to stay sober, right? And I firmly believe that it doesn't work if you need it. It doesn't work that if you want it. It works if you're willing to put the work into your sobriety, right? Um, for myself, before I got here, I could not stay sober no matter what it matter, right? You threatened me with, you, if you told me you were going to incarcerate me if I didn't stay sober, 
I started to prepare myself to go to a state penitentiary. I went on the run. I never showed up, and I stretched it out as long as I could, right? If you told me that I was going to um, lose my daughter, odds are I was going to lose my daughter, right? Like whatever consequence you put in front of me would not keep me sober, and today I'm sober only because of the uh, program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And today, you know, I'll end with this. Today, as a result of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and what it gives me on a regular basis, right, I'm no longer a high school dropout. I go to Cal State Fullerton. I'm getting ready to graduate this year and get my bachelor's degree and go further in my master's degree, right? Um, I have, you know, I have a job. I have a car that I don't have to start with a screwdriver that belongs to me and is in my name. I have a driver's license. I have a little bit of money in a bank account, right? Um, but more importantly, you know, I have friends. I have an amazing sponsors. I have wonderful sponsees. I have a fellowship of sober people that want me around them, not for what I have or anything like that. They just want me around them because they want, you know, they want me in my in their lives, apparently for some odd reason. Um, you know, I have peace. My first sponsor told me living sober is living at peace with any number of unresolved issues in your life, and that's true today for me, right? Like, regardless of what's going on around me, I have a program of Alcoholics Anonymous that keeps me centered and keeps me in peace. I have my wife back in my life today. I have my daughter, you know, back in my life today. I have all kinds of blessings as a result of working in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I get to take people through the steps. I went from an end of the program. Of, here's the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I went from a program, a place where... Society grabbed me and deemed me unfit to function in society. They put me inside of an institution. And within that institution, they deemed me not well to play with others. And then they put me in confinement within that institution, right? I get out and I work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And today I have people who I have taken through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous who have a God working in their life and their God has given them all these blessings and they're able to stay sober, right? And that's not me. I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that, right? That's, that's Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's my God working through my life. And I have to give the credit all to Alcoholics Anonymous and to my higher power because in step 10, in the 12 and 12, it says, as an insurance against big shotism, we can often check ourselves through reminding ourselves that we are sober only today by the grace of God, and therefore any accomplishments in my life are far more God's than His, right? When you guys clap for me for the things I did, don't clap for me. Clap for Alcoholics Anonymous and for my higher power. Have this process, work these steps, and see if your life doesn't get better. Thanks for letting me share.